Hi, it's good to be here with you as we continue our series into the Gospel of John. I will start this message a little bit differently than what I normally do. You see, I realized that I normally start my messages with something like, oh wow, what an amazing topic this is. I have just enjoyed every moment of diving deep into this. And the reason why I start like that is because that's normally how I feel about the topic I've been given. Well, that was not so much my feelings when I found out which passage of John I had been given for my message. You see, I like to preach about something that I can, you know, really relate to, somewhere where I can use my personal examples to kind of build up under the message and or or something that I feel that God is challenging me on. It might be, you know, something that he's speaking to me about that I can go, hey, come along with me on this journey that God has me on. Well, I had to struggle with this one. You see, in the past, when I've thought about this, this message, Jesus cleansing the temple, I have naturally thought about righteous anger. Jesus giving us a demonstration of how to react with righteous anger against something that is wrong. And that is good. It's just that this, uh, this anger, although righteous, it's not an emotion that I that easily relate to. And it's also not a journey that I, uh, or something that I feel God is challenging me on at the moment. It doesn't mean that he, he won't do but it's not a journey I'm on at the moment. So yes, I, I wasn't thrilled when I found out which passage I would be preaching on. But that's not a bad thing, is it? It makes me completely dependent on God. So I have been calling, crying out to God for this one. God, help me, I have nothing to give here. Please show me where to take this talk. And. Uh, this is where he took me. He took me to the temple courts. We are reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 12 to 25, and it says, After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother, brothers, and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of the courts and drove them all from the temple courts, both both sheep and cattle, he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here, stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove that you have the authority to do all this? Jesus asked, answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken about was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he were, was performing and believed in his name. 
but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. It is Passover. It's this one time of year where everyone is coming into Jerusalem to celebrate together. Pilgrims from all over the place streaming into Jerusalem and into the temple. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem too, as he has most likely every year of his life. When we meet him in the temple as a 12-year-old, it's written about his parents that as they did every year, his parents went into Jerusalem. And, you know, we've all reason to believe that Jesus as a Jew would have continued that practice also as an adult. But this time, when he's coming into the temple, something is different. Jesus has started his ministry now, and he is walking into the temple with a different authority. And this is where we see him overturning the tables, throwing out the coins, throwing out all the, you know, the, the uh, cattles, the sheep, the doves, and all of the ones that were selling them, clearing the temple from everything that he didn't want to have in there. It's a favorite theme in Christian paintings, isn't it? Old Christian paintings. It's this full of emotions, Jesus being angry. But uh, what was it that upset him so much? Was it the trade itself? In Mark's recording of Jesus cleansing the temple, we can hear Jesus quoting both the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah when he says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So he was clearly not pleased with the trading going on. People had to exchange their money into a currency that was accepted at the temple to pay their temple tax. But uh, traders earning money, taking profit of the exchange rate, that was actually against Jewish law. So maybe that's why Jesus calls them robbers. But to be able to exchange the currency and also to be able to buy the animals, that was actually a real need. People were traveling far distances to come to the temple to make their sacrifices and to pay the temple tax. They couldn't all bring their animals with them on the journey. Some might have had animals back home that they then sold and you know, brought the money to buy a new animal when they arrived at Jer in Jerusalem. And not everyone were farmers. Many wouldn't have animals in the first place, but would have to buy some. And I'm not sure Jesus had anything against this. This was a, a real needed trade. No, the real problem, what made Jesus so angry, I believe, is where the trade was happening. And that's where we are, at the temple courts. In earlier times, people would have been able to, to exchange their money and buy the animals somewhere outside the temple courts. Now, for some reason, the trade has been moved into the temple, into the temple courts. I don't know why, maybe they thought it was more convenient. <laughs> but in any case, it's safe to say that Jesus, he was not happy with the practice. Now, the temple was built up by different walls, as you can see on the picture here. 
starting with the outer courts and going deeper and deeper into the temple. And depending on who you were, you could move further and further into the temple. If you would ask one of the Jewish leaders what was significant with the temple courts, most likely they would say, nothing. There was nothing significant with the temple courts. The significant part of the temple was when you moved further in, in where they would come to pray. But the temple courts, that was where the Gentiles, the non-Jews, would come to pray. This was also where the ones that were counted unclean could come. To them, these temple courts, they were very significant because this was the only place they could come to pray. They weren't allowed past this point. So this was where they could come to pray. But how in the world do you pray in the middle of a huge marketplace where traders are calling out their offers and animals are, are mooing and cooing and baying? Did you hear that when we read from, from uh, the Gospel of Mark that Jesus was saying, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But the nations couldn't pray here. Only the Jews could. And maybe that's why the Jewish leaders weren't too concerned with this business in the first place. You know, they weren't too keen on the, the, Jew, the Gentiles joining in in their worship anyway. And they themselves, they could still go further into the temple and pray and worship in peace and quiet, separated from the noise outside. The Jewish leaders forgot about the need of the people that God wanted to reach, those separated from him. Instead of helping them meeting with God, they allowed a practice that made it basically impossible for them to find him. And this, I believe, is what makes Jesus so angry. What was his primary ministry? Why did Jesus come to the earth in the first place? To restore our relationship with God. To bridge the gap between us and God. To take away anything that separates us from him. And here at the place where people came to seek God, instead of helping them in the process, the Jewish leaders allowed a practice that basically made it impossible for them to find him. So what did Jesus do? He ripped out the stuff that was never meant to be there. And in that way, he restored the temple courts to its original purpose. A house of prayer for all nations. You know that this message is a message for us for us individually, and for us as a church. When the Jewish leaders saw what Jesus did, they asked for a sign of his authority to do these things. And Jesus didn't give them a sign, but um, the disciples, they realized that the cleansing in, of the temple in itself somehow was a sign, a sign that he is the Messiah, who then clearly had the authority in the house of God. We, we see that when they saw Jesus cleansing the temple, they were reminded about a 
messianic psalm, Psalm 69, a psalm that contains lots of um, several prophecies about the coming Messiah. And here we read from verse 9, that zeal for your house has consumed me. It's been mentioned a few times already during these weeks that John, he recorded the things that he recorded for once because they pointed towards Jesus being the Messiah. And this Jesus' passion for God's house so clearly dis- displayed in his actions, this became a sign, of another sign for the disciples that Jesus was the Messiah that they were waiting for. But uh, to the request from the Jewish leaders, Jesus didn't comply. Instead, he points towards a future sign, saying that tear down this temple and I will build it, rebuild it in three days. And understandably, they didn't get what he was talking about. But we know that he was talking about his own body, dead but risen again three days later. Jesus points to his own body as the temple. His body became the place for us to meet with God. When he died, it says that the temple curtain was ripped in two. That final barrier in the temple, that that curtain that separated everyone apart from the high priest, this one, one time a year, to enter into the holiest of holiest, it was in the moment that Jesus died on the cross, it was ripped from the top to the bottom as a sign that that which separated us from God in Christ is gone. And I want to take a little break now before moving on from this because I want to give you the opportunity to respond to this. If you're listening to this and you know this, this, this hasn't happened for you yet, there is still a barrier between you and God, then I want to give you a chance to respond to this. It was never really the walls of the temple separating people from God. Now, in that way, the walls are just symbolic. (laughs) What separates us from God is our sin. But that's what Jesus came to deal with. When he died on that cross, he took your sin upon himself so that you don't any longer need to be separated from God, but you can enter into a personal relationship with him where you can call him father and where you are his child. If you believe that Jesus died for you, all you have to do is to say yes to him, to receive him. And you can do that by praying a simple prayer like this. There, Jesus, I believe in you. I thank you, Jesus, that you died for my sins. Jesus, please forgive me for all the wrongs that I have done. And in this moment, I say yes to you. I receive you and the gift of salvation. And I commit myself, my life, to you as my Lord and my Savior. And if you do that, you did that, if you receive Jesus, then you can trust that there is no longer any separation between you and God. You can come to him just as you are and know that he receives you. Making this decision, saying this yes, is the most important yes you can ever give. 
make sure you don't miss out on it. So, Jesus talks about his body being the temple. And in the very beginning of John's gospel, we've heard it said that Jesus, about Jesus that he came to dwell or tabernacle, as the original word says, among us. Now, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, it's simply said a tent version of the temple. And thanks be to God that Jesus came and tabernacled among us. Without that, we would all be lost. But Jesus is not any longer here on earth physically, is he? No, he is seated in heaven. So what is then the tabernacle, the place where people can come and meet with God on earth, the house of prayer for all nations? Well, um, listen to these almost unfathomable words. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you, is a part of it. Ephesians 2.22. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives with his spirit. And from 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? What I know God's house, the temple, it is us. Every one of us that believes in Jesus. We together, we are the body of Christ. We are the temple of God. The place where his spirit dwells. The place for people of all nations to meet with God. Jesus came to tear down the walls that divided people. You know how in the physical temple, there were, the temple was divided into different sections? Well, there is nothing like that in this temple. In the letters to the Ephesians, we can read how Jesus, when he died on the cross, he tore down the wall of hostility that separated us and made us into one people. All of us, his body, In Jesus, there is no room for anything that separates us. No racism, no segregation of any sort. Again, Jesus came to break down the walls between us. Male and female, rich and poor, black and white. This, I believe, is what we see in the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. Jesus coming into the temple courts and by his actions shouting out loud, this is the temple courts. This is the place where everyone is welcome. And instead of helping them finding God, you're making it difficult for them. How dare you? The church is supposed to be the place where it is easy to come, where everyone is welcome. Whatever their color, whatever their age, whatever their background and history, whatever their social status, no dividing walls, all one and welcomed in him. 
And if we transfer the story of Jesus cleansing the temple to us now, today, then we, we are the Jews. We who know Jesus, we who are saved, we know that we can come to God and pray to him and worship him wherever and whenever. The Gentiles in the story, they are the ones in our life that are the ones that are still separated from God. They might be seeking God, but they don't know God yet. So the question becomes, do we as individuals and as church, do we make it easy or difficult for them to find him? Do we encourage them to seek him? Do we help them on the way or do we make it difficult for them? We need to make sure that we're not like the Jewish leaders who thought it was okay as long as, as the, everyone further inside were fine, as long as they could meet with God, but failed to consider the seekers, the ones on the outside. Do we do church to keep everyone on the inside happy? Or do we do church with the mindset that we're not really the priority? The ones on the outside, they are the priorities. We exist to reach the ones that don't know God yet. The church is here so that all of us that do know God, that we can grow in our faith, and so that everyone that doesn't know God can come to know him. Do we sometimes forget that our faith isn't just for us? It's for the nations. It it's for our neighbors, for our colleagues, for the stranger on the street. What is the temple? Is it the buildings we meet in? No, it is us. And what did Jesus say that we are? A place of prayer for the nations. You know you, how you have those moments in life that you know that you'll never forget? Well, I had one of those moments years back when I was in Australia. We uh, were some Christians that decided to go out, um, go down to city center one evening to worship God. There was a lot of, quite a lot of people out on the streets as we came into the city center and we could easily have gotten engaged in conversations. But we had decided to dedicate this time to worship, so we did. One guitar, <laughs> group of maybe 10, some okay singers, some not so much. I can't remember that there were anyone especially spe talented among us, but all with a passion for Jesus and a desire to worship him. So we did. I can't remember how long we were worshiping for, but I do remember that was an incredibly beautiful time and God's presence felt so tangible. As uh, the worship started fading out, one by one people in our, our group started to share what they had experienced during the time of, time of worship. And it all went in the theme of God's pleasure on us. One person sharing how he or she had had this kind of vision of God seated in heaven and you know, looking at us with a smile. And as we, as we worshiped, the smile just grew bigger and bigger and he stood up and then, then he started to run towards us with his arms open wide. One by one, these beautiful visions and, and scriptures were shared. But then the real incredible thing started to happen. First one person came over to us and, and asked us where the rest of the choir was. 
if they had already gone home. And we said, no, it's only us here. And, and the person said, no, no, it can't have been. And then they explained how they had been far up in the street as they heard us singing. And they had, they had heard this massive choir with lots of different voices, that voices that they could identify and kind of separate from each other, from the highest of soprano to the lowest of bass. And this was confirmed by other people coming over to us and telling us exactly the same. There were no one among us with those voices. No one with a high soprano, no one with a deep bass. And we realized that as we had started worshiping, the angels around us must have joined in. And some people had physically heard them. As we were worshiping, people heard these amazing, beautiful, angelic voices. And they were drawn towards us or drawn towards God. And our time of worship ended with a long time of deep conversation and prayer with the people that God had drawn towards himself. A few weeks back, we were another group, a small group of people meeting one Sunday morning for prayer and worship. Nothing else on the agenda, just coming together to, to worship and let God lead us in prayer. As we came together, I had this strong sense of you know, the disciples gathering and the Holy Spirit being poured out on them. And as we started to pray, Toyo, one of the girls in our group, she started to speak out what God is doing, drawing hearts to him, tearing down walls of separation between generations, healing and restoring the area that we're in. And while I listened to her speaking out these words, I felt God saying, yes, this is what I do. While you worship me, this is what I do. When we as God's people come together to pray and worship, he pours out his spirit on us and around us. And things happen in the spiritual realm, things that we might not even ever know. But as we gathered there, I had this str strong sense that in the buildings around us, God was drawing hearts healing, restoring, doing his work, while what we did was praying and worshiping. Now I am glad that this was the passage from John that I was given. It is stirring me up to pray, to pray for the church, that we will be what we're meant to be, a house of prayer for the nations. And I, uh, I want to end this talk with leading us all into prayer. So dear God, I pray, I pray that we will truly be what we're meant to be, a house of prayer for all nations. I pray that there won't be any dividing walls between us. And if there is, I pray that you will help us to tear them down, just as you have torn down the wall that separated us from yourself. I pray, God, that we will be a church where it's easy for people to come and easy for them to find you. 
I pray that we will be good at helping people finding you. And I pray that you forgive us for any time when we have made it difficult. And God, I pray that you will stir us all up to prayer. That you will teach us, your people, what it means to be a people who pray. And uh, if you are listening to this, and you responded to my invitation earlier to receive Jesus, then I will, um, I will encourage you to tell someone. Tell someone that, are, that is a Christian that you have received Jesus and get them to pray for you and help you on the journey. And if you don't know anyone that is a Christian, then contact us, send us an email. We would love to help you on your journey, getting to know God as your father. May God bless you, my friend. Amen.